Good morning, everyone. The reading this morning is from the book of 2 Timothy, chapter 4. In the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who will judge the living and the dead, and in view of his appearing and his kingdom, I give you this charge. Preach the word. Be prepared in season and out of season. Correct, rebuke, and encourage with great patience and careful instruction. For the time will come when people will not put up with sound doctrine. Instead, to suit their own desires, they will gather around them a great number of teachers to say what their itching ears want to hear. They will turn their ears away from the truth and turn aside to myths. But you, keep your head in all situations, endure hardship, do the work of an evangelist, discharge all the duties of your ministry. For I am already being poured out like a drink offering, and the time for my departure is near. I have fought the good fight, I have finished the race, I have kept the faith. Now there is in store for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day, and not only to me, but also to all who have longed for his appearing. Do your best to come to me quickly, for Demas, because he loved this world, has deserted me and has gone to Thessalonica. Crescens has gone to Galatia and Titus to Dalmatia. Only Luke is with me. Get Mark and bring him with you, because he is helpful to me in my ministry. I sent Tychicus to Ephesus. When you come, bring the cloak that I left with Carpus at Troas and my scrolls, especially the parchments. Alexander, the metal worker, did me a great deal of harm. The Lord will repay him for what he has done. You too should be on your guard against him because he strongly opposed our message. At my first defence, no one came to my support but everyone deserted me. May it not be held against them. But the Lord stood at my side and gave me strength, so that through me the message might be fully proclaimed and all the Gentiles might hear it. And I was delivered from the lion's mouth. The Lord will rescue me from every evil attack and will bring me safely to his heavenly kingdom. To him... Be glory for ever and ever. Amen. Greet Priscilla and Aquila and the household of Onesiphorus. Erastus stayed in Corinth, and I left Trophimus sick in Miletus. Do your best to get here before winter. Eubulus greets you, and so do Pudens, Linus, Claudia, and all the brothers and sisters. The Lord be with your spirit. Grace be with you all. Well, if you could keep uh, to the 
2 Timothy 4 open, that'd be, that'd be great. I'll pray. Lord God, we thank you for your word. It is uh, light in a dark world. It's truth in a world full of error. And it, it's a straight path uh, in a world where we are so easily led. So be with us now, Father, as we open your word. May I explain it well, but Lord, please apply it to our hearts by your spirit. Amen. This morning is a bit like Tim said. It's a bit like a wedding. <laughs> um, new relationships, Dave and his family are new to you. Uh, new relationships of Dave and Mitch as you know, ministry workers, they've formally acknowledged commitments have been made, promises have been given, all done before God, just like at a wedding. And we've all been to weddings, and you know that at weddings, um, everyone's mind's all over the place, and the minister's job at the wedding is really to make sure everyone remembers what it's all about. What, what's the purpose here? And to bring them focus. That's my role this morning, I think, to open God's word and to remember what this is all about. It's not the careers of Dave and Mitch. It's about the ministry of the gospel. And there's no better place to go, I think, than 2 Timothy 4 to get a very, very clear focus. So Wagga Evangelical Church, um, Mitch, Dave... And, and Mike and Tim, um, Paul gives us a clear focus. Just look at verses 1 and 2. He starts off in the presence of God and then he says, I give you this charge, preach the word. Preach the word, the focus of ministry. These words of the Apostle Paul were written to a young pastor, probably not, not unlike one of these guys this morning, and they were preserved in scripture for this very purpose. So that down the history of the church, every pastor in every church, at every age, in every place, even at Wagga Wagga Evangelical Church, um, we would never lose the focus to preach the word. Um, we mentioned Reach Australia this morning. One of the reasons Reach Australia became necessary was because over the years there have been many churches who forgot to preach the word and the churches declined and they need encouragement and redirection, revitalisation. So in chapter 4, uh, there's an outline on your handout. Um, Paul gives us a char our charge for ministry. He gives us explains the challenge of ministry and he also gives us great confidence to give ourselves to ministry. So let's think about the charge that Paul gives. Charge is always serious, isn't it? I don't know if you've been charged by the police for speeding. That's always serious. I used to own a, a road bike, so I know all about that one. Um, being charged by a bull, that's happened to me a fair bit too. Um, pretty serious, but this charge, it's a, the, the type of charge Paul's giving. It's a solemn and serious thing. It's the giving of a responsibility with the expectation that it will be faithfully carried out. 
You know, when a commanding officer gives the order to charge the enemy line, he's not giving an option for them to sit down and talk about and discuss. No, he's, he's giving them a command that he expects to be carried out immediately with great urgency and great commitment. That is the sense of Paul's charge here. Eternal matters are at stake, heaven and hell. So he gives us a charge. But notice it's not Paul's charge. He doesn't give it by his own authority. It's God's charge. Paul's just the messenger. Verse 1, in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, then he underlines their authority, who will judge the living and the dead in view of his appearing and his kingdom. He can hardly pull in, hardly pull in greater authority, can he? Judge of all the earth, the eternal kingdom of God. So we get it. It's serious. Paul wants every pastor and every church to sit up and take notice. And his charge is simple and clear, isn't it? I think it's impossible to misunderstand or misconstrue. We know exactly what Paul means by the word. If we've read his letter, we know that the word is the testimony, it's the gospel, it's the good deposit, it's it's God's breathed word, it's holy scripture, it's our Bible. We know what the word is. And we know Paul from the New Testament and Timothy, we know what he means by preach. He doesn't only have this in mind, the however long it is, Sunday morning sermon. That's not, that's not only what he means. It's teaching, it's reminding, it's warning, it's encouraging, it's rebuking. It's one-on-one, one with ten, one with a hundred. All speaking God's word. Because the word simply must be preached. It's imperative because the gospel, the word of God, is God's declaration to the world. So it's clear, it's simple. But ministry can be very disorienting at times. So this charge is given, I think, like like a compass, like the true north of a, a ministry compass, if you like, so that amid all the... the the different landscapes that ministers find themselves in, all the difficult and confusing circumstances that a pastor has to navigate, there will always be this reorienting, clarifying focus of the original charge from God. You know, after a topsy-turvy month or year or week, pastor sits there and goes, oh, that's right, that's right, I've got to preach the word. Got to preach the word. If you look at what Paul says, he refuses to let any other priority stand in its way. He says, be prepared in season and out of season. That could just as easily be interpreted when it's convenient or inconvenient or when it's opportune or inopportune. (laughs) Uh, Everyday life, church life, presents many inconvenient and inopportune moments. Just look at verses 16 and 17. It sounds pretty inopportune, I reckon. Um, 
At my first defence, no one came to support, uh, to my support, but everyone deserted me. May it not be held against them. But the Lord stood at my side and gave me strength so that now we get the kind of the refocus. Through me, the message might be fully proclaimed and all the Gentiles might hear it. And I was delivered from the lion's mouth. Those lion's mouths sound particularly inopportune to me. As he writes his last letter to Timothy, Paul doesn't think, just look where preaching has got me. In jail, you know, almost fed to the lions. I'm about to have my head lopped off. I'd better write to Timothy and tell him to know when to back off. He doesn't do that. He remembers Jesus interrupted his life and he said, you're going to take the gospel to the Gentiles. And so he reminds Timothy, mate, your job is to preach the word. Well, I guess our 21st century context is very different to 1st century Rome. Um, It's kind of, back then, Christianity had come into the pagan pre-Christian world of of the Roman Empire. We preach the gospel into a society that's becoming, well, it is post-Christian, becoming neo-pagan, if you like, new pagan world. And it's very confusing. It's very troubling. Do you find that? Listen to the news, just look at and listen to what's going on. It's troubling. And it's clear that the political, cultural winds are blowing hard against Christianity. I'm sure there will be plenty of in-season opportune moments uh, for you guys to preach um, the gospel. And I'm not sure what the out-of-season, inconvenient moments will look like, but I am sure that they will come. And when they do, don't be distracted, don't give in to fear. Preach the word. Back in uh, 2019, I received a formal request from the Orange RSL Club for the, I was, I used to give the talk at the uh, dawn service, Anzac Day dawn service. I received this official request that I would only pray at the dawn service and not preach. So very specific. I replied that that's fine, I'll, I'll pray with some introductory words. <laughs> they replied, make sure your introductory words are short. <laughs> they were on my case, right? So I gave a five-minute gospel talk about Jesus, the one true sacrifice, and I prayed. I received no complaints. Um, I wasn't like I wasn't trying to be difficult, but God told me not just to pray. I know I need to pray, but He gave me a charge. It was to preach, and so I did. Now, while this word is is for the pastor, it is written to Timothy, it's also a word for the church. It's in all of our Bibles. 
Preaching the word of God must be the cultural centre of your church. Paul says in Colossians 3.16, Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly as you teach and admonish one another with all wisdom. Just read Ephesians 4. It paints a picture where the, the pastor teacher equips his people with the word of God so that they can then speak the truth of the word of God in love to one another. You see, preach the words of word to all of us, not just Tim and Mike and Dave and Mitch. It's Speaking God's word is a necessary and powerful cultural norm for the people of God. You know, God created our world by speaking through words. It's extraordinary, isn't it? Jesus raised Lazarus from the dead by talking, by speaking his words. Jesus said, quoting Moses, man does not live by bread alone, not by food, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. And God has given us his word, this gospel, to speak so that we can bring life and health and vitality to one another, but also new life to the unbelievers in Wagga and beyond. But just look at the end of verse 2. Look at how we are to preach. Preaching is getting a bit of a bad rap these days. I don't know if you know that. There's books written about it. He says we are to preach with great patience and careful instruction. See, we are to preach the word of God with the character of God. God's word is powerful, it's effective, but preaching is not a power trip. No, Paul says we are to speak the word of God with the patience of God. God who is more concerned with winning sinners than arguments If you've, got, if you've got a Bible, flip back to chapter 2, verse 24. Um, just listen to what Paul says to Timothy. And the Lord's servant must not quarrel. Instead, he must be kind to everyone. Able to teach, not resentful. Those who oppose him, he must gently instruct. In the hope that God will grant them repentance, leading them to a knowledge of the truth. So, friends, that is the charge we're given today. It is a charge given particularly, as I said, to the pastors of your church, but it is a charge given to all of us so that we all take this seriously, so that we preach the word. But Paul gives this challenge with no illusions. He knows that it will be a challenge um, So let's think about that. Just pick it up, verse 3. For the time will come when people will not put up with sound doctrine. Instead, to suit their own desires, they will gather around them a great number of teachers to say what their itching ears want to hear. They'll turn their ears away from the truth and turn aside to myths. Now, friends, we notice that happening in our society, don't we? In our, what I think of as a post-Christian, neo-pagan society, 
It's en masse turning away from what is true to any and every nonsensical myth you can think of. It's extraordinary. And that makes for a very challenging culture in which to preach the gospel. But as we do that, we're to remember that in this crazy mixed-up world, Jesus' clear words, he said, if you hold to my teaching, his teaching, then you'll know the truth and the truth will set you free. The preaching of God's word is what will bring freedom to our world, not their myths and legends. It's never been, the, the preaching of the gospel to our world has never been more important, never more relevant. But it's a challenge. It's hard because it's countercultural, it's not politically correct. We call for repentance and faith. That means change and trust in God instead of trust in yourself. But let's not miss the point here. This challenge is not just out there, it's not out there, no, it's in here, it's in our church community. It's in our hearts. This letter was written to the church, not the world. We might be saved, but we're still sinners. We have a fallen nature which continually asks the question, that sinner's question, did God really say that? Do I really have to take notice of that? Another way of saying it is that we all have itchy ears. At one time or another, we, we, take, we take exception to being corrected or to sound doctrine or being rebuked. So preaching the word always has and always will be a challenge. Until Jesus returns, preachers will preach to sinners <laughs> with itchy ears and wandering feet. You can see that it's a difficulty. Just look at the way... Paul describes his own ministry, verse 7. Fighting the good fight, finishing the race, keeping the faith. They're, They're word pictures of determination, courage, pain, exertion, perseverance. So make no mistake, a ministry where preaching the word is the focus will be a challenge. I'm coaching a guy who moved to a new church in another state and he landed in the most extraordinary set of circumstances, troubling circumstances. An old mentor said to him, brother, preach Christ, preach Christ. And he said to me just just three days ago, so he said, Bruce, that's what I've been doing, I've been preaching Christ and you know what? It's got harder. It's got harder because I'm calling them to repentance. it is a challenge. That's why Paul gives the advice he does in verse 5. To meet this challenge, Timothy, will have to, your pastors will have to, look what it says, keep their heads in all situations, endure hardship, do the work of an evangelist, that is, remember to preach the gospel when they ask you not to, discharge all the duties of their ministry. In my late teens and early 20s, I was in the Army Reserve, the 1st 19th Battalion. It was called the Bushman's Rifles. It was for blokes in the bush that 
Anyway, we would train for two weeks. We'd go away, train for two weeks, and on the last day we would have a mock war. Um, it was all blank ammunition and incendiary grenades. They made a big noise, but there was no fragmentation, so no one died. Um, but our trainers really ramped up everything. We had helicopter gunships flying over like Vietnam style, machine guns going off, incendiary grenades, smoke bombs, officers yelling through loudspeakers. Very exciting, very distracting, I can tell you. What was the aim? Simply to see if we would keep our heads and follow orders. That's what it was about. Keep our heads, fulfil our charge and defeat A Company. I was in B Company. <laughs> two Timothy, uh, in 2 Timothy, Paul paints a picture just like that, but not with blank ammunition. It's full, 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 fully loaded ministry. This um, In chapter 1, he mentions Figulus and Homogenes who desert him. In chapter 2, um, Hymenaeus and Homogenes who are preaching heresy. Chapter 3, this incredible warning about terrible times ahead. Chapter 4, he mentions Alexander, the silversmith in Ephesus, who caused him great harm. He mentions Demas, one of his ministry team that he talks about in Colossians, who's deserted him. Why? Because he loved the world. And Paul, as he writes, knows that not too far away he's about to have his head lopped off by Caesar. It's real stuff. Preaching the word, fulfilling the duty of gospel ministry is a challenge. So Paul writes Timothy to, and every future pastor and says, you'll have to learn to keep your head, mate, to endure hardship. Make sure that you do the work of the evangelist. Keep preaching the gospel. God has given you a charge, so he says, discharge all the duties of your ministry. Now, Tim and his team, they kind of lead the charge, I guess, and their wives with them. Please don't forget their wives. But, Weck, you are partners with them today. So today, make a commitment to care for them, to love them, to encourage them, to pray for them. Make a commitment to refuse to scratch your own itch and wander off down your own little truth exploration pathway. Commit to refocusing yourself so that you can help them refocus when the going gets tough so that the word is preached. Uh, some of you will have, will have heard of what they call the Great Awakening in England in the early 1800s when England was a wild, godless place and it was turned around by gospel preachers. Um, John Wesley was one of those preachers and I found this, I, I read his diary and I found this, this, this is an abbreviated account of his diary. So just listen. Sunday morning, 5th of May, preached in St Anne's, was asked not to come back anymore. Sunday evening, 5th of May, preached in St John's, Deacon said, get out and stay out. Next week, 
Sunday morning, 12th of May, preached in St Jude's. Can't go back there. Next week, he must have had that afternoon off. Next week, 19th of May, preached at St Something or Others, he says. Uh, Deacons called a special meeting and said I could not return. Sunday evening, 19th of May, preached on the street, was kicked off the street by the authorities. Sunday morning, 26th of May, preached in a meadow, chased out of the meadow as a bull was turned loose during the service. That sounds pretty inopportune, doesn't it? Sunday morning, 2nd of June, preached on the side of the highway, was kicked off the highway. Still going, he's like that little rabbit with the Duracell batteries, isn't he? (laughs) Um, Sunday afternoon, 2nd of June, um, preached in a pasture, many thousands came out to hear me. And it turned around. See, what did Wesley do? He faced the challenge. He kept his head. He kept his focus. He kept preaching the word. Through great trouble, great challenge, he fulfilled all the duties of his ministry. And Paul says, make sure you do it too. Now, if all of this seems a bit too hard, a bit too solemn bit too serious. If Dave, you're thinking about, I'm going, just going back to Victoria. They didn't say things like this back in Victoria. Um, just everyone, you know, don't do anything rash because notice it's not all solemnity and difficulty. No, Paul gives us, I think, great hope, great confidence. And it's confidence not in ourselves, it's confidence in the Lord Jesus. Just look at the passage and note the bookends of our confidence. See, it's real confidence. It's Jesus appearing. His first appearing, verse 1, and then his last appearing, verse 8. Our confidence, our hope, is not just wishful thinking or mystical optimism. No, it's grounded in the historical reality of Jesus' first appearing. That is, he was born, he lived In a real place, in a real world, he taught, he died, he rose again, he ascended. Jesus' first coming was the fulfilment of God's promises in the Old Testament and it happened in real time and space. Historical reality. Do you see our hope, our confidence is grounded in truth? It's certain. And on that basis... The faithfulness of God, the reality of Christ, we look forward to his, the fulfilment of his promise to return. At the end of Matthew's Gospel, Jesus gave us what we call the Great Commission and he finished that commission with a promise. He said, and I will be with you till the end of the age. I will be with you always to the end of the age. And the Apostle Paul, back in the early church, really road-tested that promise. And he attests to Jesus' faithfulness to it here in this passage, the promise of his presence. Look at verse 16. He says no one, uh, that he had no one to support him, that everyone had deserted him as he stood to defend himself in Caesar's court. But he says, verse 17, The Lord stood at my side and gave me strength. The Lord was good for his word. See, we've got confidence. We're not alone. I I remember knowing this in a very real way 
years ago in Ningen, I'd started a church because actually none of the churches in Ningen would teach the Bible. The church I was attending had a change of minister and all of a sudden the Bible stopped being preached. I said, let's start our own church. Let's read the Bible. Now, I was just a young farmer. I had no training, but I'd been brought up in a Christian family. Well, not long after we started the, uh, you know, so I guess I knew the Bible. I just hadn't done any ministry. Well, not long after we started this, what we called the Ningen District Bible Church, um, Ningen had a centenary, 100-year celebration, and the organising committee wanted to have a church service in the town hall. Um, and it was, yeah, it was well attended. But true to form, the ministers in the town, well, all I remember was that none of them would preach. Uh, so somehow, I don't know how, I was asked if I would preach. Now, I was just a farmer. I'd done very little preaching Never to hundreds of people in a public gathering, the thought of this terrified me. But I was incensed that none of the ministers in the town would preach the gospel. So I said I'd do it. I can't remember what I preached on or what I said. But what I do remember is that amid my fear, I hung on to this promise of Jesus. He said, I'll be with you always. I was saying, well, Lord, you know, you... You better be with me. And so can I say, I, I can say what Paul said, the Lord was with me, gave me strength remarkably. I, on that day, I remember I, I, I was able to find courage. I was calm. I kept my head. I preached the gospel. I don't know how well, but I did it. Now, I was 28 years old back then. I'm now 63. At no time has Jesus left me to stand alone. At every time I've known, felt, he's with me. Jesus stood with Paul, he stood with Timothy, he stood with Wesley and he stands with you today just as he promised. You know, sometimes Wagga might seem like a, far, a long way from anywhere but it's never a long way from Jesus. He's here, he's with you. He will always be with you, so be confident in discharging all the duties of your ministry. Be confident to preach the word. But there's another promise here, and it's the promise of an award or a reward. Look at verse 8. It's wonderful. Paul says, Now there is in store for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award me on that day. But then he writes, And not only to me, but also to all who have longed for his appearing. This promise is not just for those formally set apart to ministry. It's for everyone here today who's a follower of Jesus and longs for his second coming. Everyone who looks around our world and says, you know, there's something more important than upgrading my car and upgrading my house and upgrading my superannuation. Verse 8 says that those who look past the pleasures and difficulties of our present world to Jesus, those who have taken seriously his call to ministry, the ministry of the gospel, both pastor and church member, 
those who will with confidence in Jesus fulfil all the duties of their ministry, of your ministry. Um, Jesus says there is this award awaiting you and it's a crown of righteousness. I find that astonishing that I would be given a crown of righteousness that somehow declares it's all right (laughs) because even at my very best I know just how weak and fickle and undeserving I am. That is so encouraging. For this promise, and so this promise gives me confidence, gives me hope, it gives me optimism. Just as Jesus appeared the first time, so he will appear again in the future. Nothing can change or detract from the truth and priority and certainty of the gospel. So in the meantime, we have great confidence to give the ministry of the gospel our all. I often think God has given us everything we've got, everything we need, so that we can give it everything we've got. So I encourage you to do that, Dave, Mitch, Mike and Tim. You all as a church together, take up the charge, preach the word, face the challenge with a steady head and a steadfast heart. And do so with confidence until you meet your King and Saviour face to face. To him be glory forever and ever. Amen.